Garden Basics with Farmer Fred is brought to you by Smart Pots, the original, lightweight, long-lasting fabric plant container. It's made in the USA. Visit smartpots.com slash Fred for more information and a special discount. That's smartpots.com slash Fred. Welcome to the Garden Basics with Farmer Fred podcast. If you're just a beginning gardener or you want good gardening information, well, you've come to the right spot. Autumn begins this week, and fall is definitely for planting in the garden. The air is cooler, but the soil is still warm, perfect for establishing new plants. We revisit a couple of segments to get you into the gardening mood during the next couple of months. First up, are you thinking of getting some low water or drought tolerant plants for your landscape? We have tips to help ensure their success. Maybe you're not planning a fall garden. Then how about feeding your garden soil over the winter using cover crops? We have the basics to get you started. We're podcasting from Barking Dog Studios here in the beautiful Abutilon jungle in suburban purgatory. It's the Garden Basics with Farmer Fred podcast brought to you today by Smart Pots. And we'll do it all in just a little over 30 minutes. Let's go. There's a lot of interest these days about growing low water use plants, native plants, plants uh, here in California from different climates that happen to be Mediterranean, plants that don't require much water once they're established. And that is the key, establishing a native plant or a low water use plant before you turn off the water. Mm-hmm. That mm-hmm, belonged to Debbie Flower, <laughs> yes. retired college horticultural professor here at the uh, Barking Dog Studios with us today. Mm-hmm. A lot of people make the mistake when they go to a nursery, they might buy a, a perfectly good low water use plant or a Mediterranean plant that doesn't require much water, right. thinking, oh, it doesn't require much water. I can just stick this in the ground, walk away, and it'll do fine. Mm-hmm. Mm-mm. 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 No, it won't. That was uh, something that I did a lot of reading about while I was doing my master's thesis at UC Davis. And there was uh, somebody else's PhD thesis that I was reading uh, about just exactly that. Taking a plant, putting it in the ground from a container, put it, planting it into the landscape, and how do you water it so it will survive? When do the roots get established? So let's think about that plant that we just purchased. It's in a container of some sort, and that container contains media of some sort. Everybody's mix is different. There are as many container media mixes as there are people mixing. But in general, they are very high in organic matter and very open to allow water and oxygen to penetrate them and the roots to grow. We are going to put that medium with the roots of the plant into our field soil, which is very low in organic matter. If you have 2 to 5% organic matter in your field soil, that's about normal. If you've used mulch for many years and it's broken down, it might go up as high as 10%. But in the landscape, that's about as high as you're going to get it. In the container, it's 50%, maybe more than that. So this change in, in texture between the container soil and the field soil creates a problem for water movement. The plant has all its roots in the container soil. It's been living in the container. It's been watered in the container. It's been fertilized in the container. Now you're going to put that into the ground for, it came out to be about six weeks. These were one gallon plants in that, that I was reading about in that PhD thesis. For about six weeks, you need to water the container soil itself. It's in the ground now, but you have to get the water directly into that container media very frequently. 
in a hot California summer, it can be daily. It can be twice a day. So it depends where you are, how hot it is, whether you've had any rain. But you need to get water to that container soil very, very frequently for the first six weeks. And then in those six weeks, you water the field soil around the plant once a week. That's a difficult situation to create. I did create it when I was working on my thesis. We actually cut the tops off of one-gallon pots and made little collars around the uh, planted one-gallon plants. And those collars were raised above ground so we could, and pu- but pushed into the ground as well, so that we could water directly into that container media and it wouldn't flow out into the field soil. At home, I don't do that. At home, I plant the plant and I lay out a sprinkler of some sort or a soaker hose, set it to a timer on a hose bib and have it go off every day, every other day, depending on the weather and water that plant for about six weeks. And then I'll, I don't just take it away. I'll move it away, further away from the plant. The thesis said that I read said the roots of the one gallon container plants had grown into the field soil after six weeks. So all of a sudden, these plants were able to take moisture up from the field soil, but they couldn't do it before that. And so you you have to create the conditions where you're not saturating the plant, not getting too much water into the container soil but you're or into the field soil, but you're getting enough that the plant doesn't die. So it sounds like a spiral of a uh, soaker hose, for example, that starts off basically around that uh, root ball of the plant and then spirals out a little bit more and a little bit more would be the ideal way for moistening. Or maybe it would take two soaker hoses with with the one closest to the plant being on more frequently than the outer one. Right. And I'm typically planting into a bed that already has uh, irrigation that comes on. Actually, sometimes it doesn't come on except once every two weeks. And so I'm using the soaker hose. I just string it around from plant to plant. If I've planted a lot of little plants, mm-hmm. then I'll move it from plant to plant and keep it very close to the base of the plant because that's where the media, the container media is. Uh, yes, I'm watering some field soil in between, but there is drier field soil around that plant. And then it gets its usual irrigation uh, once a week or once every two weeks, depending on what bed I've put it in. I would think a couple of other strategies for putting in low water use plants would be the timing of this. And that timing could include not only uh, the time of the year, but the time of the day that mm-hmm. you would put these plants in. I will have plants and wait and check the weather. I'll have plants in pots that I've purchased. I have some right now and I'll check the weather until there's a cooler day. Now it's, we're in the heat of summer, so that's not real frequent, but a cooler day, and I'll often plant in the evening when the direct sun is not so strong. And another thing I do, I, this sounds very odd, I've never seen anyone else do it, but I'll make little paper hats. <laughs> <laughs> well. Out of newspaper, or if you have the those sheets of packing paper, or uh, some large piece of paper, shape them. You just use scotch tape, make a little hat, and anchor them with uh, irrigation line anchors, those metal hooks. Mm-hmm. And yes, they turn brown and they start to rip. But the first few days when that plant is is out of the container, it was grown in a field and it was totally surrounded by other container plants that were about the same size. So the wind was low on that plant. It may have been grown in partial shade. Many growing facilities are in partial shade because the plants grow better. Now you're taking it away from all those other plants. It's totally exposed on all sides to the sun and the wind, and it's not under shade 
or it's probably under less shade than it was in its growing grounds. You typically, commercial growers grow in a reduced amount of light than what that plant can ultimately take. So it has to adjust to all these changes in its environment. So putting that little paper cap on it helps it eliminate some of those things that, that are hard for that plant to deal with. And the paper doesn't last very long. And when it starts to shred and blow around the garden, I go out and throw it away. And that's as long as it stays on the plant. But it, I find it very helpful. I was, I did it to a ceanothus that I planted in summer and it worked very well. Both the, the soaker hose and the little paper hat. Cianoth is also known as California lilac is notorious for hating summer water once yes. it's established. It, it needs to be off on its own circuit away from other plants that are getting regular water, definitely, for it to have a, a long life. And frankly, the Cianothus in California, 10, 15 years probably is their life. If they're irrigated, yes. Yeah. Yes. And so, so, so yeah, it sounds counterintuitive to do this, yeah. to water a Cianothus after you've planted it. However, you have often preached of the benefits of moistening the soil before you plant. Mm -hmm. Will you water thoroughly the area before you put in a low water use plant? I don't. I water the container mm -hmm. to make sure that that water has gotten all the way to the bottom of that container so the plant has something to live on when I put it in these very difficult situations, meaning increased light, increased wind, and new media. But I, I do not irrigate the whole that is recommended by many people, however. Including you. <laughs> no, well, that's when I go from container to container. Right. I absolutely, yes, I use moist media. I water what's in the container and I water what I'm putting it into because the container media it can contain, often contains peat moss, which is incredibly difficult to wet. But landscape soil, it varies all over the world. So I can't say anything general except that it typically does not contain peat moss. Mm -hmm. Peat moss is a particular problem to get it to wet. And so that's why I, I always use moist container media. And you've gotten me into the habit now of using my five-gallon buckets to pre-moist any potting soil that I may be thinking of using that day. Is just putting the amount of uh, potting mix that I think I'll be using into a big bucket, topping that with water. And letting it sit there while I go do other things and then come back and uh, take that moist soil and put it in the container for uh, replanting something. Mm -hmm. Yes, I think for container media, it's critical. Field soil, not, not as much. The other thought, too, about putting in low water use plants to reduce the stress is maybe plant in fall when the days yes. are cooler and the soil temperature is still warm and uh, the weather is just more mild. It's much easier to do to plant in fall. And I prefer to plant in fall. The reason I don't always do it is that the plants aren't that I want aren't always available in fall. Right. Having worked at nurseries, wholesale and retail and and with students at the school uh, growing grounds, you don't want to go through the winter with a lot of plant material in containers. It takes a lot of labor and it, water and water and they can be persnickety. Some don't want water in winter mm -hmm. and some do. And it just creates a lot of work. And so the tendency is for nurseries to let their stock quantity decline as you go into the fall so that they don't have to tend these plants in the winter. So it's sometimes harder to find what you want in fall. If only you people would just pay attention to all the signs you see in front of nurseries every September that say fall is for planting, yes. we wouldn't have this issue. Yes. Yes. It's all supply and demand, really. All right. So we've uh, established a low water use plant. We've Well, we've planted it. Adding mulch, does that help? 
I always try to mulch up to the container soil, not over the container soil. And that helps keep, as you say repeatedly, do not mulch right up to the base of the plant. And so if you only go up to the container soil, and that goes back to another another bypass, (laughs) when you plant container soil grown plants into the landscape, you don't, you plant them, it's called planting proud. If someone is proud, they stand up tall. And so you, you want the container soil out of the ground, out of the field soil for a one gallon plant as much as an inch. Really? An inch? Yes. Mm -hmm. Of that container soil sticking out of the landscape soil once you've planted it. A couple of reasons for that. One, if you dug the hole really deep and had to fill it back in, there's air in that media, that, that landscape soil that's underneath the pot and that's going to settle and the plant will go down. If you dug it exactly the right depth, good for you. But you still want the media to stick out because the media itself is full of organic matter. It will break down over time and that plant will settle. And if it's set, once it settles, if it's below field soil, all the water will flow to it and you're likely to drown the plant. And I have drowned them. I've done it. You're planted proud. You've got that container media sticking out, mulch right up to it. The other thing to consider, too, when planting low water use plants is, as we've alluded to, they don't like a lot of water. No, they once don't. they're established. So think about where you're going to be planting them. Is it in a low moist area? Maybe you don't want to put it there. Right. Maybe you want to put it at the top of a slope or even in a raised bed. Yes. Yes. Or you can create the cenothus I've had success with most recently is on a mount. And so I, I am it's still got the uh, soaker hose running past it and it's doing very well. I have another cenothus I want to plant in a different location that is not mounted. But I will put some field soil there to create a mound. That's another option. So How do you keep the sides together on a mound? Well, you have to slope it gently. Hmm. Okay. And so the eventual height of that mound would be about eight inches or so? Well, I don't think I'll go that high. I think I'll just go three or four mm-hmm. and then plant proud in that mound. That mound will settle. Anytime you move soil, you've added oxygen to it and it settles over time. So I may end up with only a two-inch mound. But it's still higher than the field soil around it. Mm-hmm. And that soil, because it, you've made it quite wide, mm-hmm. actually can act as a mulch, too. Right. But so. I will mulch around it, too. All right. Okay. Have we established uh, those low-water use plants? Let's see. We planted them. We we put in the irrigation. We mulched them. After six weeks, we take the irrigation off, and then you can go to low water use irrigation. Oh, listen, I hear a voice saying, how much is that? (laughs) That depends. That's another topic. (laughs) Yes. Yes. I think we have. Okay. All right. So uh, low water use plants, uh, you can save money. Mm -hmm. But you got to pay attention when you plant them to get them established. Debbie Flower, thanks so much for your help on this. Thank you. My pleasure. pretty picky about who I allow to advertise on this podcast. My criteria, though, is pretty simple. It has to be a product I like, a product I use, and a product I would buy again. And you know who checks all those boxes? It's Smart Pots. Smart Pots is the oldest and still the best of all the fabric plant containers that you might find. Smart Pots are sold around the world, and they're proudly made 100% right here in the USA. Smart Pots come in a wide array of sizes and colors and can be reused year after year. Some models even have handles, and that makes them a lot easier to move around the yard. 
Because the fabric breathes, smart pots are better suited than plastic pots, especially for hot climates. That breathable fabric has other benefits, too. Water drainage issues? Not with smart pots. Roots that go round and round, choking the root ball like they do in plastic pots? Doesn't happen with smart pots. These benefits will help you get a bigger, better plant than what you've gotten in the past with the same size plastic or other hard container. Smart pots are available at independent garden centers as well as select Ace and True Value hardware stores nationwide. To find a store near you or to buy online, visit smartpots.com slash Fred. And don't forget that slash Fred part. On that page are details about how, for a limited time, you can get 10% off your Smart Pot order by using the coupon code FRED. F-R-E-D. Use it at checkout from the Smart Pot store. Visit smartpots.com slash FRED for more information about the complete line of Smart Pot's lightweight, colorful, award-winning fabric containers. And don't forget that special Farmer FRED 10% discount. Smart Pots, the original award-winning fabric planter. Go to smartpots.com slash Fred. If you've never experimented with cover crops, there are a lot of benefits for putting in what's called a cover crop during the fall for both gardeners and farmers. We're talking with the product development manager at Peaceful Valley Farm Supply in Grass Valley, Sarah Griffin Bubakar. And Sarah, what exactly are the benefits to cover cropping that people may not know about? Well, there's a lot of benefits. Um, It depends on why you want to cover crop. So there's lots of different reasons to use one. Um, They can obviously fix nitrogen. That'd probably be the number one benefit. It brings um, atmospheric nitrogen and puts it right in the soil, right where your plants can use it. Um, it also adds organic matter. So when you're amending your garden, the two only two expensive amendments are nitrogen, fertilizer, and organic matter like compost. So this uh, cover crop will do both of those. It also can suppress weeds over the winter and improve soil tilth and increase biology in the soil. Um, it can uh, reduce erosion. It can help with certain pest problems because it'll harbor beneficial insects. Uh, It can even provide winter feed for animals, helps with crop rotation, which is very important. And it just, it's more of a natural crop rotation and it can increase water infiltration in the soil. Let's talk about that last point because uh, that's important for gardeners and farmers who want to cut down the amount of irrigation they have to do. And that has to do with the deep-rooted nature of cover cropping, allowing the water to penetrate even deeper into the soil profile. Well, yeah, exactly. It will, it can be, especially some cover crops have very large roots like daikon radish. So you can plant daikon radish and as it grows, it busts through some hard uh, soils that would otherwise be hard to penetrate and allow the water to stay, go down deeper into the soil profile. While at the same time, it, all of those roots and all of that organic matter is like a sponge holding on to water. So if you have a healthy cover cropping system, then, yeah, over time you would need to irrigate less and less. And as you mentioned, that by having a cover crop, you're providing, if you will, a good bug hotel for beneficial insects who may be inspired to spend the winter on your property. Absolutely. Cover crop doesn't necessarily have to mean a crop you put in between, you know, your succession planting. It can also be a hedgerow, so something along the the borderlines of your of your garden area or your farming area that would 
work as a protective area for these beneficial insects. So it can provide uh, pollen for the pollinizing. A lot of our beneficial insects are pollinators when they're adults and they're voracious bug eaters as larvae. And so it'll provide habitat for them so that if you do have a pest problem in your garden, those beneficial insects are just lying in wait, waiting to gobble them up. There's a lot of confusion among gardeners and farmers about when you take out a cover crop or what do you do to a cover crop in spring when it's time to plant. Do you take it out? Do you just mow it down? What do you do with a cover crop? And at what point should you be cutting down a cover crop? Right. Well, that's a really good question. So there's a couple of different schools of thought on that. There's um, if you're a tiller, if you till, then there's one way to do it. And then there's if you're a no-till person. And no-till is, is pretty hip right now um, because of the, you know, maintaining the mycorrhizae in the soil. And so if you till, then you bust up all that mycorrhizae and it's hard for it to really get established mycorrhizae being the beneficial fungus in the soil. So the no-till method is pretty popular. Um, but the key thing to remember, whether you're tilling or not tilling, is that you don't want to cut the cover crop and just let it lay. Because if you let it lay, then all of that nitrogen that's in the plant, it's been sequestering, it's been grabbing from the atmosphere and putting it into the plant, it's all just going to go back into the atmosphere. And it can happen within minutes. Within an hour, most of that nitrogen's gone. So the key thing is that once you cut, you have to cover it, whether you cover it by tilling it into the soil or whether if you're doing a no-till, then you're going to cover it with another layer of something. So finished compost or something else. So just to keep that, that nitrogen in the soil rather than going back into the atmosphere. So the key is to cut the cover crop when it's about half in bloom, because if you allow the cover crop to go to seed, then you've got weed problems and not to mention a lot of that nitrogen that you've been keeping from taking from the atmosphere is now going into seed production. So all that energy, rather than going back into the soil as now fertilizer or green manure, is then going into seed production. So you don't want your cover crop to go to seed. So the key is to cut it when it's about half in bloom. So you just start to notice the blooms, about half the crop is in bloom, then you're going to cut it and immediately cover it, whether you're covering it by tilling it in or covering it with a mulch. Then you're going to wait at least three weeks if you're tilling, perhaps even longer, depending on how thick your mat is. Um, if you're doing a no-till, you're going to wait at least three weeks in planting to give the green manure a chance to break down. If you don't do that, it actually gets quite hot in the soil, and you can burn your seedlings or your seeds, and uh, nothing will grow for about three weeks until that's able to break down. It could be sooner, could be longer, depending on how active the soil biology is at the time. For both the small-scale gardener and the large-scale farmer, what are some alternatives for mulching that cut cover crop if you're practicing no-till? I mean, you can use straw, you can use alfalfa hay, you can use a finished compost, anything to cover up that that layer of the green cover crop. You just really don't want it to go limp and have all the water come out of it because with the water will go the nitrogen. Let's talk about some various cover crops. And I imagine uh, it depends on what you're growing and uh, where you are and uh, what sort of soil you have. But among the, the fall-sown cover crops, what are the most popular? Well, we have um, 
we have formulated here at Peaceful Valley, we formulated a couple of mixes that are really popular. Um, they are, we call them soil builder mixes because they will build your soil if you use them every year. And the soil builder mixes have a mix of grasses and legumes. So the legumes are those nitrogen fixers. So that's the ones that we've mainly been talking about as fixing nitrogen. But grasses also have a lot of benefits, mainly being just a lot of biomass that they they grow quickly and put a lot of organic matter into the soil. Soil builder mixes have vetch and bell beans, which are a kind of fava beans. So they they grow really well in the cold weather. Um, and the vetch is like a vine, and it climbs up the bell beans, and it climbs up. There's also white oats and peas in there, and the they, peas and the vetch use the oats and the bell beans as scaffolding to climb up. So it'll be quite the tangled mess, ideally. Um, it'll be full of beneficial insects, ideally. And, um, and then when you chop it down, you want to do that before it's fully blooming. And I imagine when you chop it down, you want to do it in segments of no more than 6 to 12 inches before you take it to the ground. Right. Well, hopefully you're, by the spring, your cover crop is quite lush and prolific. And so you want to chop it up as much as possible because the more it's chopped up into little pieces, uh, the quicker it breaks down. And so you will chop it up and then either till it in or cover it up. So maybe uh, mowing it after you've chopped it up would help. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Key is to really cover it up. This mix that you're talking about, your premium uh, soil builder mix, uh, can get rather high, can't it? About what, four to six feet? It can, yeah. So what I use is I use a weed whacker when I go to, to chop it down. And I'll just chop, like you said, the top six inches, then do another layer, then do another layer um, until it gets down to the ground. And what is the application rate for the garden? What is the application rate for a farm? Let's see, you're going to do three to five pounds for a thousand square feet for the soil builder mix, keeping in mind that because it is a lot of different sized seeds, seed spreaders can be a little bit challenging because you've got the smaller vetch seeds and the larger um, bell beans and, and that. So it will be a little bit harder to spread. Also, it's not pre-inoculated. And so if you add it, if you add the inoculant, it can get a little bit sticky. So I usually just spread it by hand. Um, now, if you're a farmer, you it's 70 to 120 pounds per acre, depending on how rich your soil is. Obviously, if your soil is, is quite poor, you're going to go the higher application rates. In that case, using a more professional grade seed spreader would be best or even a seed driller. If you're drilling the seed then it would be, you could go the lower application rate as well because you'd have more germination. What depth is ideal for planting the seed? Well, because it, it's tough, like I said, because it's so many different sized seeds, you don't want to go too deep. So I would only go about a quarter inch deep because of the fetch mainly as the smallest seeds and the oats as well. So you don't want to go too deep. I'd say a quarter inch to a half inch deep at the most. A lot of people just spread it over the top and that works too. Does it need irrigation after planting or can you just wait for the fall rains to begin? It really depends. Um, I, a big mistake what I see a lot of people do 
Um, while they, oh, I just didn't have success with my cover crop. Well, usually it has to do with irrigation because you do, it is a seed that needs to, all like all seeds, it needs to be completely moist the whole time. And so if it's allowed to dry out, then the seed will just die. And so I like to time it when, right when the fall rains have started, but the soil is still warm. If the soil is too cold when you plant it, then the seeds won't germinate or they'll take a really long time to germinate. So you ha- you have to time it right. Sometimes Mother Nature doesn't cooperate with you with the timing and the fall rains will come later or they'll come too early when you're, you're, the rest of your crop is still in. You can irrigate to get the timing right. You have to keep the soil completely moist while it's germinating. Once it's germinated, you can let it dry out in between, especially because it'll be cooler and so you don't need to water as often. But you still need to pay attention to dry spells. And if it is, if we do have a dry spell, which oftentimes we do in January in particular, is a pretty dry month most, most often. So, you know, giving it a good drench once a week or so, even when it's cold, you don't really need much more than that. Well, that will really help the, the cover crop thrive and you'll get the most out of it. So I guess ideal planting time for this really, it depends on the weather, but basically uh, sometime between Labor Day and Halloween. Yeah, I'd say that's that's pretty safe. I mean, you don't want to get your crops, your summer crops out too soon because you want to really, you know, maximize how much you get out of them. But then there there comes to be a point where, you know, those tomatoes, while you may, may still have some green tomatoes on the plant, if the tomato is really suffering and, and not looking very healthy, you got to pull it out sooner rather than later because otherwise you're just inviting pest problems. Peaceful Valley has a, a wide array of cover crops and cover crop mixes, and you can check out what they have online at groworganic.com. It's all about cover cropping. Sarah Griffin-Bubakar is the product development manager at Peaceful Valley Farm Supply. Sarah, good talking with you and happy cover cropping. Thanks. You too, Fred. Wondering what to do with all that end-of-the-season corn? How about some fresh corn soup? On this week's Beyond the Garden Basics newsletter and podcast, master gardener and professional chef Andy McDonald has the chilled corn soup recipe that's rather special. It uses the corn cobs that usually get tossed. Sound interesting? Find a subscription link to the newsletter in today's show notes or visit our website, gardenbasics.net. That's where you can sign up to have the free Beyond the Garden Basics newsletter and podcast delivered to your inbox each Friday. Also at gardenbasics.net, you can listen to any of our previous editions of the Garden Basics podcast, and you can read a transcript of the podcast episode that you're listening to now. For current newsletter subscribers, look for the fresh chilled corn soup recipe in the next Beyond the Garden Basics newsletter. It's coming out the morning of Friday, September 23rd. It'll be in your email. Take a deeper dive into gardening and cooking your food that you grew with the Beyond the Garden Basics newsletter. And it's free. Find the link in today's show notes or at GardenBasics.net. Garden Basics with Farmer Fred comes out every Tuesday and Friday, and it's brought to you by Smart Pots and Dave Wilson Nursery. Garden Basics, it's available wherever podcasts are handed out. For more information about the podcast, visit our website, GardenBasics.net. And that's where you can find out about the free Garden Basics newsletter, Beyond the Basics. And thank you so much for listening.